You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We are in our last message in the the mini-series we've been doing called We the Church. We the Church. Um, Church was God's idea. Uh, The plan to uh, come and be like this together and worship and spur one another on and all those. That was God's idea. And we are the church. And over the last three weeks, and now this week, the fourth week, we've been uh, looking at some foundational things. The the first message we looked at was from Isaiah 6. It was called Foundation Shaking. In the year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And And the threshold shook. And he cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And uh, we discovered Isaiah on his journey, how in that text he worshiped God and then how he walked with God and then how he committed himself to work for God. A, a great picture of the, uh, the picture of um, discipleship that we have here at Harvest Bible Chapel, a disciple of Christ is one who worships, walks, and works for Christ. And now that was an Isaiah 6 foundation shaking. And, and then we looked the next week at a message entitled Earth Shattering, uh, Matthew 27 and 28. And we took a look at two earthquakes. The first earthquake when Christ died, the, the veil is rent from top to bottom. The, the way between God and man is now being made open and, and the graves are open and there's an earthquake that happens uh, when Christ dies. And in some ways, it's a picture of sadness and sorrow as uh, Jesus is on a cross and he is dead, defeat, despair. And yet the followers of Christ and even those around didn't understand what had been accomplished in that very moment. And then three days later, there is another earthquake and the stone is rolled away and Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Um, The receipt is in our hands that truly he is God. Truly he is the savior. Truly he was the one who could pay the ultimate price for our salvation. Foundation shaking, earth shattering. Last last week we looked at a message from Revelation 4 talking about window rattling worship. And the challenge for us as we come together as you just were a part of what happened here. The true worship is not what happened in the noise The true worship is what happened between you and God. And uh, our lives need to be lives that are filled with window-rattling worship when we are together like this, but when we are on our own, when we're having our quiet time, when we're in the Word, when we're on our knees. Window-rattling worship. And today as we look at Acts chapter 9, we want to take a look at a life that is life-altering. A working of God that happens in our lives, that the only way we can explain it is God does it. And it changes who we are to the core. It changes what we are about as followers of Jesus Christ. It's found in Acts chapter 9. It's the story of Saul's conversion. So you got your Bibles open, I trust by now. Let's stand together. I want to read uh, this portion as we consider God's word. We want to honor him. Acts chapter 9. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now he went on his way and approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Arise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing text. What an amazing story of the salvation of another choice servant. Lord, we pray that as we take a look into Saul's life today, that God, you would give us clarity and understanding for the person who's here today who's never had that life-altering experience that we will see in Saul's life. God, would your spirit take them from death to life today? Would you bring salvation in this room? Father, we pray for those of us who have trusted Christ and we need to be reminded. We need to learn from the things that Saul learned and what he observed and God, would you teach us in those things as well? Give us ears, God, to hear your word today. Give us minds that we would understand. And then, God, work in our hearts that we would live out our lives for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, the salvation of anyone is an amazing miracle of God. It's an amazing gift from God. Salvation will alter who you are. I remember a number of years ago, a James McDonald saying something like this. I wrote it down, but said, if the gospel has not changed you, it probably has not saved you. If the gospel has not changed you, it probably has not saved you. The reality is when you come and are confronted by the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you must be changed. You cannot be the same anymore. Uh, I was saved when I was eight years old. I wasn't living some radical lifestyle, dealing drugs on the street and murdered three or four people. Not by eight. And so the radical change was 
a little different for me. And I know some people who, who uh, get saved, they come out of a Christian family. It's like, well, I don't have an amazing story. Hey, you have an amazing God that protected you from all of those things. Others of you came to Christ maybe a little later in life and you've been through some hard things and, and you've seen what God has done and changed your life. Well, today we want to take a look at the life of Saul and see his conversion. And I want to do one little disclaimer at the beginning of this message. And the disclaimer is this, for sure, I'm going to get my Saul's and Paul's. It's not mixed up. I'm just going to use them interchangeably. You know, Peter's name was changed. It was Simon, and now you will be called Peter. And that never happened for Paul. Um, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. And uh, so if I mix them up, it doesn't matter. It's the same guy, okay? Everybody understand that? Are we good with that? Are we good with that? Thank you. Okay, now I can go on with great confidence. Let's take a look at his past. Let's realize where he, he came from. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to Damascus to persecute the church. It's not lost on me that Damascus is in Syria. It's not lost on me that Paul was going to, to Syria to uh, see that Christians would be put into prison. Some even put to death. See, the things that are going on in Syria even today were things that Paul was a part of. That was his heart. That's what he wanted for Christians. He wanted to see them in prison or dead. Really? Really? Yeah. Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 54, the stoning of Stephen. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. Saul is dead in his trespasses and his sin. He doesn't even understand how evil he is and what he is doing. In Galatians 1 verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. And over in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4, talking about himself, Paul said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. He was a sinner. He was separated from God. He was the evil of the evils. And he was dead. He taught us in Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He was he was dead. I'm going to come back to um, uh, verse um, 2 in a minute, but uh, let's go down to uh, verse 3 of Acts chapter 9. I, I want you to see something about him, and um, here's what it says. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, don't let those words go past too quickly. While well, he was on his way, Paul was after what he was after. He was after what he thought was the right thing to be after. He wanted what he wanted, and he was going for it. And in his case, he was after the persecution of everyone who named the name of Jesus Christ. He was on on his way. See, that's the crux of the whole thing. Whose way are you on? And Paul got it wrong. He was on his way. But thankfully, there is a verse 2. And he asked for him for letters of the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, Paul was on a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. He had missed the way because he wanted his way. And the question for all of us today is, which way are you on? Are you on your way or are you on Christ's way? Jesus said in John 14 and 1 to 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. A number of times in the book of Acts, followers of Jesus Christ are called people of the way. People of the way. Because they believe that there was one way to God and that was through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Every other world religion is trying to get to God in a different way. And Jesus said, I am the way. And if you get that wrong, then you get it all wrong. And Paul, for all the things he thought, he got it all wrong. He was dead. He was a sinner. He was separated from God. He was on his way. He had missed the way, Jesus Christ the Lord. The good news is the story doesn't end there. And although his past was separation from God, there was a plan that was about to be revealed and it was going to be for his salvation. Look again at verses three and four. Now as he went on his way approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's on his way to Damascus. It's about a five-day trip from uh, Jerusalem. They're on their way up there. And along the way, his life is intersected with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the light shines, and he hears the voice, and he falls on his face before God. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting me? I'm persecuting believers. I'm persecuting, yeah, God's children. Why, Saul? Why are you doing that? I don't believe this was a harsh Saul, Saul. 
I believe this is more like Jesus going into Jerusalem and he's weeping over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or watching Martha and Mary and Martha and he goes, Martha, Martha. Here it's Saul, Saul. And the voice is filled with compassion and love. Why are you persecuting me? Saul thought he was serving God. Saul thought he was doing the right thing. Saul is about to discover he had missed the mark 100%. And millions and millions and millions of people have done it all throughout the year. I read this quote this week. Men who were convinced they were doing God a favor have done much of the worst persecution and torture ever practiced. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting remember when we were in Israel and we went up to the Temple Mount and, and we saw the Muslims studying the Koran and studying in little groups and men with little boys and studying and, and they missed it. They missed it completely. And then we walked around and went down to the Wailing Wall and we watched the devout Jews up at the Wailing Wall nodding and nodding and pushing little papers in with prayer requests and whatever. And they missed it. They missed it completely. They all think they're doing well. They all think they're doing great things. They all think they're doing good. But they missed it. Look, the text goes on. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now, that's a great question to ask. There's nothing wrong with that one. And... and um, But the Bible says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. Who are you, Lord? And then Saul hears three words that change his life. The three words that changed my life, the three words that changed your life or will change your life. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Jesus, who you persecuted. You got to imagine what's going on in Saul's mind and in his heart and in his life right now. He's been out there. He thinks he's been an agent for God. He thinks he's been doing the right things. He thinks he's been moving forward. He thinks he's advancing the cause of God. And in those three words, he realizes just how badly he had failed, just how much he had missed the mark by. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. He's confronted everything he'd been doing was wrong. I believe at this very moment, this man is saved. I am Jesus, whom you have been persecuting When you're confronted with I am Jesus and you answer that question of what you will do with him, your life can never be the same. He was so wrong and yet believed he was so right. And what he heard in those three words rocked his world, changed his life, and as a result, the world got turned upside down. I am Jesus. You see, 
Sin separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do about that. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, and he makes me alive in Jesus Christ. And all I can do is come in simple faith and believe. Salvation is made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of him on a cross, the right and righteous and only sacrifice that could pay the payment. And then he died and he rose again. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We heard in the testimony of the baptism for God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And if you're like Saul, and you've been on this journey, and you've got, think you've got it all figured out, and you've got your life all in place, and you've got, and, and the answer to life's questions isn't, I am Jesus, then you've missed it just like he missed it. You have no hope. And our only hope is found in what Jesus Christ has done. And so what do we do? Well, you accept the fact that you're a sinner separated from God and there's nothing you can do to fix it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. Confess with your mouth, first of all to God and then to others. Look what the Lord has done. You see, Saul was in the past separated and dead, but God brought salvation to him and he believed in simple faith. How do I know? Because he wrote in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, today, today is a day of salvation. Believe and you will be saved. Don't keep trying to reach God. Don't keep trying to do it on your own. Don't keep trying to work harder at things. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, let's just look and see what happens the next little bit of the narrative of the story in verse six. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. And now we're going to find out what happens to him after he gets saved. But there's a little, there's a parenthesis that happens right in the middle of this passage. And the parenthesis is about this guy, Ananias. So it's in the scripture, so I'm not going to skip over it because I think there's some great things that we can learn from this man and what God does in his life, even as he's used to impact um, Saul. And so here's what happens in... uh, Verses uh, 10 to 12, the process of sanctification and the process of growing up in Christ or becoming more like Christ, if you want to call it that, is, is seen in Ananias' life. And we see it in starting in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. I got a few C words for you about this guy. Here's the first one. He, he heard the call of God. He was listening for the voice of God. And when God called, he responded. He didn't even know what he was responding to yet. Just, Lord, Ananias, yeah, here I am, Lord. What do you want? When God puts a thing on your heart, are you more like, well, let me find out what all the details are, see what I'm signing up for. I want to get all the fine print before I ever commit myself to doing anything for the Lord. Now, that wasn't this guy's heart. This guy's heart was God called him, and his immediate response is, I'm here, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Is that the way you respond to God? Is that the way I respond to God? But look what the text goes on. 
The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And then the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision that a man named Ananias will come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Here I am, Lord. Okay, I want you to go and talk to Saul. What? Are you kidding me, Lord? Seriously. One man is dead that I know of. People are being thrown into prison. Lord, please. Here I am, Lord. I'm amazed at Ananias. I would have been like booting out the other way. Lord, you got to get somebody else to do this. There's no way. Not Paul. I'm not going to talk to that guy because I know his reputation is before him. I know he came to this town to take people like me and throw me into prison. Maybe have my head. That's what he wants. And I looked at my own life and how pathetic I can be about the things that God calls me to. To bring a message of hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a neighbor or a family member or a friend. And I'm like, well, they might not like me anymore. Um, I might not get Christmas cards or presents from them anymore. Um, I'm not going to talk to that person on the bus. They might not let me sit beside them anymore. This guy is called to go to the one who was desiring to see Christians dead or in prison and he had responded, here I am, Lord. But you gotta believe he was concerned. Nothing wrong with some concern and asking some questions as long as they're done in faith. And look at verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, just in case you thought I was making all that stuff up about him scared to death. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here that he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. See, Ananias had been watching CNN and Fox and ABC and CBC and Global and CTV. He had heard the story every which way from sideways about this guy who was coming to their town. And Lord, you're asking me to do something really, really big here. And he was concerned. And he wanted some clarity. And he got it from the Lord, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of your name. Uh, Just like Peter, there are times when you've got to get out of the boat before you can walk on the water. If you want to see what God will do, you've got to step out beyond your comfort zone and do what God calls you to do. God had told him, I want you to go. He asked some questions. God confirmed to him he needs to go. That gave him the confirmation. You go. You go and talk to even a guy like Saul. I was reminded as I was reading this in my own spirit, as uh, preparing for this message, that um, you don't ever write anybody off. Don't ever write anybody off. You got to believe if there was a person on the list of the top 10 people we're not going to talk to about Jesus. It was Saul. And he's the very person that God is going to touch and change their life. Ananias didn't have in his mind the week before, you know, Saul's coming to town. I'm getting an appointment with him because I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. 
They're probably trying to stay as far away from that guy as they could. But who's that person in your life? Who's that person that you've kind of gone, yeah, I tried, I give up. I give up on them. No way, never coming to Christ, not gonna do it. Maybe it's a, a son or a daughter or a dad or a mom. I give up. Hey, as long as they have a heartbeat, as long as they have a breath, don't give up. Don't give up. Then see his commitment in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul and the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine what that trip was um, in Damascus along Straight Street to talk to him. Somebody in the Saturday night service had been in Damascus and been on Straight Street. And obviously now they built a church over where they think this was. But so, so he's walking along and so he's coming up to the door. He knows that Saul's inside. How do you think he knocked on the door? Do you think he walked up and was like, here I go. Boom, boom, boom. I'm here. Or do you think it was like this? Maybe they won't hear me. And then he hears the rustling inside and it's like, oh no, they're coming. I don't know, doesn't say. I don't know if he went with boldness. I don't know what is. I don't know how he went. But I know this, he went. And sometimes we go with great confidence and sometimes we don't go with so much confidence. And either way, when God is working, he's gonna do his work in his way for his glory. And so the door is open and he goes in and he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he sent me. And his eyes are open and the scales fall off and he can see. This man, Ananias, was a man of Godly character. We see it in one other place in Scripture. It kind of fills in a little bit more of the story. It's over in Acts chapter 22. Flip over there. Acts 22, 12 to 16. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, there's his character, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Lord, make me a little bit more like Ananias. Make me willing when you call, say, uh, I'm here. Here I am. And I don't know what the details are yet. I don't know what you're calling me to, but I know this, you're calling me. So I'm going to be an all-in guy first. And when the challenges come and the hardships come, uh, I will wrestle with the concerns, but I'm not going to respond like Moses with all of his excuses and can't you send somebody else? And I'm not going to respond like Jonah, who God called him to go this way, and he decides I'm going this way. I'm, I'm going to wrestle through the things. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to trust you. Make me a little bit more like Ananias. Give me eyes of faith to see, committed. And God used him in a man's life who would change the world. So now we look at Saul, 
That was the process of sanctification for Ananias. That's a little parenthesis. Now we, we get back to Saul in, in verse 18. And look what it says. And immediately, some things like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. Remember, we just read in 22 he, that, that Ananias had challenged him to this. So let's talk about some of the things, the first things, the first things in our faith that we should do. Ananias says to Paul, you need to get baptized. And he did. Says in verse 18, that's what he did. He got up. He went to the local Harvest Bible Chapel, made an appointment, had an interview, wrote out his testimony, got into the tank. Didn't work like that. They found a river. He got in it and he got baptized. It was the first things that we do. So what's the deal with baptism? Well, let's talk about who first. Who should be baptized? Everyone who's a believer should be baptized. That's what baptism is for. Baptism is the way that believers show they are in the family of God. So the first thing that he did, Ananias challenges him. The first thing he does is, I'm getting baptized. That's the who. Every believer. When? A-S-A-P. After you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to speak to Pastor Ed or send an email to the office. If there's somebody who wants to get baptized, we'll either leave the tank full or fill it again for next week. Get baptized. As soon as you can after you come to Jesus Christ. You say, well, no, but it's been like 10 years. Well, okay, then as soon as you can is next week. So get baptized. Who? Believers. When? Soon as you can after you trust Christ. Why? Because baptism is the way that you do two things. First of all, it's the way you show obedience. Secondly, it's the way you show that you're identifying with Christ. The picture of baptism is a picture of death and burial and resurrection. And that's what Saul wanted to do. That's what he wanted to go after. He wanted to identify with the Lord. Can you imagine? Like, what's been going on in his life? Because if he was like you or me, it'd be like, well, you know, I need to kind of slip into this a little bit. Because I was like going this way really fast, really hard. And now my life has turned around and this is going to rock some people. Maybe I should just wait a little bit. Saul was an all-in guy. He wanted to identify his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is through, through baptism. It shows obedience. It shows identification. How? How do you get baptized? Well, you do it by immersion. The word means to dip or to put under. Every example of it in Scripture is always somebody who's getting dunked. Because it's that picture of, of I'm identifying with. I am identifying with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, he died for me. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. I'm all in with him. Saul was all out with him. And now he's like all in with him. They that gladly received his word were baptized, the book of Acts says. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. Have you been baptized? As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, if not, why not? Saul had a lot to lose. There are a lot of people who are going to be royally ticked off at what was going on in his life. But he obeyed what God had called him to do. First thing he did was um, he was 
he was baptized. That was the first kind of step in his growth and his sanctification. Here's the next thing. It's found in verse 19. I want you to see this. It's a great little nugget here. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. There were a group of people who understood what had happened in his life. It wasn't a very big group, but there was a group of people, and he was spending time with them. He got in a small group, as it were. He was was learning how you do life together. And so he spent time with these people who were pouring into him. He must have had 10 million questions. When you're going 100 miles an hour in this direction and you realize you're going in the wrong direction and God turns you around and now you're going 100 miles an hour in this direction, you got a lot of questions and you need some people around you who can help you and encourage you and spur you on. And we do that in this church in small groups. 17 home groups, 223 or something people in those groups. We have a men's ministry, a women's ministry, a, a young adult ministry, a youth ministry. Even our, even our Harvest Kids, they, they get together around tables in small groups to discuss and to pray. Because we're a church with small groups because we can do life together. We can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And then another piece to that that even happened out of our women's ministry, a three-chord where three people together, reading the word, praying with each other, encouraging one another. And some of the men's ministries tried to pick that up. And uh, that's what he's doing here. So you can show up in a room like this with, I don't know, 380 people in it. And, and you can disappear. You can be all alone. But you can't do that when you get together with some people and you're accountable with them and you're loving on them and they're loving on you. And I love the fact that the scripture point out that he spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. That's the second thing. Here's another thing. It says that he is obedient in verses 20 and 21 that he goes out and he starts to proclaim. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. So the guy who was a week earlier, going to the synagogue to say how ridiculous these Christians are and how they need to be put in jail and his pride in what he's doing, even making sure one at least had been put to death. Now he's going to the synagogue to proclaim Jesus. Because when the Lord answered the question, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. He couldn't keep his mouth shut anymore. He couldn't stop talking about his Savior. I am Jesus. When you have the greatest news in the world, you can't be quiet. And shame on us if we have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the last thing we want anybody to know is what we have. We've got the greatest gift ever given to a world that has no hope. And we're more worried about whether we'll be on a Christmas card list or we'll get invited over to somebody's house or uh, they'll come and visit us or they'll talk to us anymore than than we are about the good news of Jesus Christ. Immediately, he went out and he started to proclaim. So he was obedient in baptism. We have this picture of uh, community. We have this sense of obedience immediately proclaiming. And then the last thing, really the really important thing, is he had one focus. He had one focus, verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. One focus. I am Jesus. That was it. The rest of his life was all around proclaiming the news of who Jesus was. 
That's what he was about. Nothing took his eyes off of that. He was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. He was um, also one of the greatest apologists that ever lived. He's out there defending, I am Jesus. People are questioning. He's making his defense. I love this text. Over in Acts chapter 17, we have a picture of this as, as he goes to Athens and he's in Athens and they're trying to understand who this guy is and what he's teaching. And, and so in Athens, it says um, in, in Acts 17, 22, so Paul standing in the midst of the, the Oropagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. And he goes on and he goes, you got all of this stuff, all these idols which are really a waste of your time. But you have one to the unknown. That's who I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about Jesus. See, he had a singular focus. That Jesus Christ would be exalted more and more in his life that the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ would go out all over the world. It wasn't going to be easy for him. In chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, the Jews want to kill him. In verses 26 to 27, at first the followers of Christ are afraid and they won't accept him. In verse 16, we learn that he will suffer much. He spent most of the rest of his life in prison or under house arrest and but it didn't matter because he had one focus. He had one focus. I am Jesus. That was his one focus. Well, so what? So what? You know, if you go to our uh, webpage or our Facebook page, you'll see somewhere in there, it'll say, Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, a Bible-believing, God-glorifying, all-in-for-Jesus church. All-in-for-Jesus church. You see... Saul thought he had it all right, and he had it all wrong until he got Jesus right. And we are an all-in-for-Jesus church. And more and more in our lives, in our walk, every day, we need to be all-in-for-Jesus people. That quote that James McDonald said, if the gospel has not changed you, it probably has not saved you. When you take hold of who Jesus is, it must change you. You cannot be the same. Christ is in me, my only hope of glory. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We the church, life-altering. What Christ has done in me, what Christ has done in you, makes all of the difference. God, teach me more and more every day one focus. The one focus is the statement, I am Jesus. You get it wrong, you get it all wrong. You get it right, and we get it all right. God, make us people of faith, stepping out, out of our comfort zone, out of our woe is me world, and into all in 
life-altered, all in for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word, and we thank you for it. Thank you for the way that you take it and use it. And Lord, I pray for the person who maybe is in this room today who has never trusted Christ, that they would come to the place of repentance and faith. And today, today would be the day they would simply believe and they would know you and their life will be changed forever. For every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we have so much to learn. We struggle, we falter. Paul did, the things I should do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I should do. He said all of those things as he grew up in you, but he was moving forward because he had one focus, Jesus Christ. God, make that our focus. Do your work in your way for your glory. We the church, not our idea, your idea. We the church, living out for your fame. We the church, people of God, committed to serving. I am Jesus. Do the work necessary in our hearts today. Break us of ourselves. Conform us to the image of our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.